All right. Well, they began to dream. There was nothing he couldn't do. The people will follow him. He will rid our land of the Romans. The golden era that the prophets have spoken about has come. And then he was betrayed. He was tried. He was crucified. And wave after wave of shock and grief and disappointment and disillusionment rolled over them. They would ride a roller coaster of emotions as he appears and then disappears. For over 40 days as he gives proof that in fact he is alive. And he spoke to them during that time about the kingdom of God. And this is where our text picks up. God's rule and reign didn't take the shape that they imagined it would. Now, I've met the risen Christ. He has brought healing and new possibilities uh, into my life. But I need to read this text because I still don't quite have a handle on it. There are still things I'm not sure what I should uh, expect. And anyone who wants to understand what Christianity has to offer needs to listen to these words of Jesus. It's hard to overstate the significance of our text this morning. We have the very program of God for the expansion of his rule. Jesus tells them to wait in the city where he was crucified for the Father's promise of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on them. And the disciples raise a question. Well, Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? It wasn't a wrong question, but their question, the way they speak, shows that they really don't understand what God is up to in Jesus. And so Jesus gently corrects them, and he shows them that the kingdom of God is spiritual, that it's international in scope, And this kingdom of God is gradual in its expansion. Now, when we speak of a kingdom, we think of a geographical territory, like the United Kingdom, with England and Wales and so on. Or the Buddhist kingdom of Thailand, or the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. But the kingdom of God cannot be drawn on a map. And yet this is exactly what the apostles were thinking. They were confusing the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Israel. Jesus' reply points to the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus is here defining the very nature of his kingdom. They're receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the kind of power that characterizes the kingdom of God and not an army to overthrow the Romans. God's rule is established by the Holy Spirit. And the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming of the Spirit actually help us to understand more fully what Jesus is saying here. One of them is found in Isaiah 32. Beginning in verse 15, we read this. Until the Spirit is poured out on us from on high, 
and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness, and trust forever. The the imagery says that the Holy Spirit comes and transforms a barren, empty uh, wilderness into productive farmland and into forest land with the result that the justice of the kingdom of God and its righteousness comes to expression uh, in human life. In a similar way in Isaiah 44, we read this, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself the name of Israel. In both cases, the wilderness in these prophecies, the desert, because the wilderness in Israel was a desert, a very dry uh, place. It was unfriendly uh, to life. It images the devastation of sin. You see, human beings, we were made to live in a garden, in the Garden of Eden, a place of abundant life, of rich resources, of beauty and harmony. A harmony uh, that existed between humans and God and among human beings. And that's the picture the prophet's giving us of this harmony being restored as the Holy Spirit comes and restores our relationship with God. And one of the things that flows out of this is a new identity. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Whom did Israel belong to before that? Well, Israel's history is largely one of turning away from God to idols. Israel belonged to those that were not gods, to the idols of their choosing. And when Israel is restored, by the work of the Spirit, they not only are the Lord's, but they are witnesses to what he has done. Isaiah 43, 11 and 12. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there's no Savior. I declare and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am your God. You see, the Holy Spirit removes our spiritual blindness to recognize the saving acts of God. That's what happened to the apostles. They had their eyes opened. They could see what they couldn't see before. And they were being called to testify to what God had done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what happens to everyone who turns in faith to Jesus uh, Christ. And at the same time, we start to see our idols for what they really are, as our substitutes for God. 
we see clearly that God has acted in Jesus to bring his kingdom to us. And when we open the Gospels, we begin to see that, well, his healings, his deliverance of people, they were enacted parables of the kingdom of God breaking into this fallen world to restore people. A picture of what the Spirit does right now in restoring people into a right relationship with God. So that they're at peace with God and God is at peace with them. So they no longer resist God and God is no longer angry uh, with them, but showers his love upon them. God's rule and reign, when it's received, begins this process of reordering our lives. He turns our deserts into uh, fields. He transforms us, not with a heavy hand, but with a gentle work of his spirit. And we become witnesses. E. Stanley Jones was an American missionary to India. And as a young man, he struggled with whether he should be a preacher or an attorney. Well, he he chose, of course, to be a, a preacher. And when he came to the time that he would preach his very first sermon, it was in his home church, and family came, and friends came, and he got up to speak. And in his first six sentences, he made a mistake. He used a non-existent word. And there was a young woman in the audience who smiled when he did that. And he immediately forgot the rest of his sermon. And so after a long, uncomfortable pause, he said, well, friends, I'm sorry to tell you, I can't remember what I was planning on saying. And as he, in shame, started down uh, to sit down, he sensed God saying to him, haven't I done anything for you? And I thought, yes, you have. Well, tell them about that. And so he stood up and said, friends, you know what I was like before I came uh, to Christ, what my life was like. And now I've come to Christ, you can see the changes he's brought in me. And he said several more uh, things like that. And when he was done, a young man came up to him after the service and said, I want to find out what you have. Well, when Jesus Christ comes into our lives and brings his kingdom, uh, uh, he summons us to be his witnesses, uh, to acknowledge to people, to tell people about what he's done, not just what he did, but also what he's done in our own lives. It's both his great acts and how we've experienced uh, his gracious redemption in our own lives. The disciples ask, will at this time you restore the kingdom to Israel? They had narrow, nationalistic aspirations. They wanted Israel to be exalted over all uh, of the nations. For Israel to be the head and all the other nations to be uh, the tail. And Jesus broadens their horizons. He says that the kingdom of God is international in scope. That God's plan, in other words, is much bigger. And it would reach all nations and all people uh, groups. The Old Testament spoke about this when God gave his promise uh, to Abraham that one of his descendants uh, would be a blessing uh, for uh, the world. And 
he would undo the curse that had come because of Adam's rebellion. And there were hints through the Old Testament, uh, intimations along the way that God uh, was interested in the whole world and not narrowly Israel. There were people like Rahab and Naomi uh, who uh, joined the people of God. Uh, There was Naaman who received healing when many others in Israel uh, did not. But the main emphasis in the Old Testament was that the nations would be drawn uh, to Israel, that Israel uh, would show God's care by being a light to the nations, showing the presence of God in the temple, for it was to be a house of prayer for all nations, the wisdom in the laws they were given, the nations would admire uh, the wisdom, much as the Queen of Sheba admired uh, Solomon's rule and, and reign, and the justice in its society, that the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, the aliens the word uh, in the Old Testament for that, they received legal protection. They had rights. They would receive justice. And there would be a floor to the level of poverty to which someone uh, could sink. However, Israel failed to live up to this mission. Israel's worship was corrupted by idols. It neglected the law of God. And as a result, they became oppressors of the poor. They stole from the poor. And they oppressed those who were powerless, who had no status, like the orphan and the widow. This dynamic of drawing the nations to Israel could be and has been described as centripetal mission. But Jesus introduces something new. He's now empowering his people to go to the nations. This is centrifugal. This is centrifugal mission. The nations will be reached as his witnesses go and tell others about what God has done through Jesus. In each of the four Gospels, Jesus instructed his apostles that the gospel needed to be proclaimed to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus says this uh, to those he's with. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you were clothed with power from on high. They are commanded to take the gospel to the nations. They stand there as representatives for all who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just given to them, it's given to all of us. How can we know that? Well, one of the ways we can know it is we look through the book of Acts, we see that it is the ordinary Christian and not the apostles who are involved also in sharing the gospel. We see at the end of Acts 4 and the beginning of Acts 8 in particular. And the result of sharing the gospel will be a beautiful community. And that community is captured in the book of Revelation is surrounding the throne of God and all peoples and nations and tribes and tongues are there. Just a, a kaleidoscope 
of all the beauty of humanity. Indeed, the fullness of what it means to image God is not seen until all of humanity and all its diversity is brought together around the throne of the Lamb. Jesus, when he is raised from the dead and ascends to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, has received all authority and power to enable his people to carry out this mission. You see, it's always been God's plan from the very beginning to have this beautiful community. But the followers of Jesus Christ, the apostles, well, they're not unlike us. They preferred our kind of people. You know what I mean? Most of us are comfortable with people like ourselves. It's just simply easier uh, to relate to, to understand, to love, uh, to help, and work beside people who share our background, our culture, uh, who live at the same level, who have the same kind of education, who speak our language, in whom uh, we have a common uh, lifestyle and culture. In case you haven't noticed, the nations are right here. I can't go to the grocery store or go for a a run over in Fairland Park and not hear Spanish and French and Arabic in a number of languages from Asia and from Africa. Languages from Africa, I can't even name, I don't know. What's, uh, what language and people group they're from. And to start a relationship, to show neighborly love to people who are very different uh, than I am, with a desire that they might hear the gospel and experience God's grace. It's not just me. It, it's probably true for all of us. To do that and to enfold those that come to Jesus Christ in uh, to our church, it just simply won't be convenient. It will demand things from us that we would, well, normally not be inclined to do. It will involve a costly kind of love, that a willingness to learn from people who are very different than I am, than we are, to understand and appreciate and value what's good and noble and true in their culture, from their nation. Why do this? Well, Christ Jesus commands it of us. And we must not be passive and tell ourselves, well, we're a light, we're a city set on a hill, and People can come through the door whenever they like and and hear the gospel right here. No, we are called not to be passive, but active, to take the initiative and to go to people who will never walk through those doors until they have a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us or any local church to support professional Christian workers uh, who cross ethnic and cultural and geographic uh, boundaries. But it's hard 
and one of the great challenges for us individually as well as a church is to not be so busy with our lives and the challenges that we face and the, and the things uh, that aren't quite just right, that we become inwardly uh, focused and we just think of ourselves and lose sight of our responsibility. You see, it takes visionary leadership to keep this mission before us. It has, we have to be reminded regularly because there's so many things going on in our lives and so many ways that we're pulled that it just kind of moves from our priorities further and further and further down the list. And I don't know about your list, but I never quite get to the things at the bottom of the list. William Booth founded the Salvation Army. And as he grew old, he, of course, his health began to fail. And he wasn't able uh, to attend one of the anniversary uh, meetings. And so he sent a telegram with these instructions. Read this when everybody's assembled. And the telegram had one word on it. Others. Others. He said, the Christian church is the one organization in the world that exists purely for the benefit of non-members. Mission. Maybe that sounds like an overstatement. But really, if there's nothing within us that that rings true from, we've probably lost sight of what it is that Jesus is commanding here and calls us uh, to. The church that lives for itself will die by itself. The vision for mission that Jesus has here is one that should burn in our hearts. God's plan is for all of us to participate. And we need to, well, we need to figure out how to do that. Last Sunday, between worship and the dinner, there was a presentation. The intent of that presentation was to get us thinking and talking among ourselves and offering thoughts about how it is that we might engage in that. Talk to the transition team. Talk to the officers. Um, uh, Let's encourage uh, one another uh, in this. God himself will give us direction if we seek him in this. The kingdom of God is gradual in its expansion. The apostles ask, will at this time you restore the kingdom to Israel? Either revealing uh, their curiosity or impatience. You know, it's time, Jesus, to get on with everything. Let's get this show on the road. Let's get these Romans out of our uh, nation. Might have been both, but Jesus tells them the Father has fixed the times by his own authority. Jesus already told them, I don't know the day or uh, the hour, and so you need to be content with your ignorance, with not knowing. And then he tells them what they should know. 
that they will receive power to witness in ever-widening circles, starting in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to despised Samaritans, and then to the ends of the earth. The extent of the witness is described in terms of geography. And you can follow this geography in the book of Acts in, in many ways. It's laid out this way. But in the book of Acts, it also tells this story in terms of the ethnic penetration of the gospel. Every first time the gospel crosses an ethnic boundary and reaches a new people group, it's chronicled. From the Palestinian Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem to the Samaritans to the Ethiopian eunuch to God-fearing Gentiles, from east to west it moves, Syria, Cyprus, Central Asia, Italy, to the uttermost parts of the world. And every church, including our own, needs to take responsibility for its Jerusalem and allocate resources, time, energy, the the talents, the gifts uh, that have been given to you, and treasure to take the gospel in our Jerusalem to people who will not come. And every one of you has a circle of influence. There are people that you know, people you live near, people you work with, people you you recreate uh, with. They are your personal Jerusalem. And Laurel is our shared Jerusalem. Well, how do we begin? Well, first, Jesus has given us a promise to trust. If you actively believed this promise and acted on it, what would be different in your life? What would it look like to boldly enter your personal mission field? Where would you take a risk, believing that the heavenly Christ who sent his spirit will empower you? He will meet you in that moment as you take uh, that uh, risk. Who might you have a cup of coffee with or buy a lunch? or invite to a game, or show hospitality uh, to. Second, a way to start is to make a list of people that you know, from friends and casual acquaintances, people who, as far as you know, don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, don't participate in the life of a church. It could be people that are very far from God. They're hostile or they're just completely indifferent. It could be people who have some church background but aren't living as disciples. It might be a member of your family. There might be someone whose spiritual condition just isn't known to you. Ask God to show you one or two people whom you can spend time with on that list, to either start or deepen a relationship with. Now, each of these people in those groups I mentioned, they'll need a different approach. You can't go to a family member the same way you can to a friend. You know, the family, you have a history in your family with people, and sometimes that history is very, very hard to overcome and and approach someone in your uh, family. 
You know, when someone's very far from God, you're going to start in a different place than someone who has a church background. But each of these people, in fact, all of them, need the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts, and so pray. I've placed in your bulletin today some samples of how it is you might pray. These uh, prayers that are rooted in, in Scripture. And the third thing to do is this. To tell someone in your small group or an elder or perhaps a friend here that you're doing this. And tell them, I'm going to need encouragement. Would you come back and check on this uh, with me? Ask them to put a reminder in their phone to check up with you and ask you how it's going. And then, as if to make a, a point that Jesus Heavenly ministry will be pivotal in carrying out this mission. He's lifted up, and a cloud carries him out of their sight to sit down at the throne at the right hand of God. And from now on, Jesus will direct this ministry from the Father's right hand, and he will always be active on earth, bringing salvation and encouragement and guidance to his people as they carry this out. In the face of all our doubts, perhaps discouragement and disappointments about engaging in ministry and uh, being a witness to Christ, here we are assured that our activity rests not only on his command, but his living presence and his sure promise of his return. As a church exists by mission, just as a fire exists by burning, a church exists by mission as a fire exists by burning. Let's pray. Most gracious God, capture our hearts as you did your first followers. Fill our hearts with faith that we would indeed believe that this promise is for us, that your enabling power and presence are with us, that because you possess all authority, we can go boldly to people, not arrogantly, but but humbly, gently, confidently, that you're at work and that your gospel will indeed find its place in the lives of people we know. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.